Oye, la salsa Nueva York, de Loisaida, old school baby, no se mete con los viejos, <ríe> ya tú sabes, te están mirando. Hello, I'm Morgan Greenstreet with Afropop Worldwide, and this is After the Money, Salsa for Love in New York City. The dance and music culture of salsa was born right here in New York City about 50 years ago, when Latinos and non-Latinos of all backgrounds came together to create a style of Latin dance music that was uniquely New York. Salsa quickly spread around the world, embraced by dancers, musicians, and DJs from Japan to Senegal. Today, the dance is more popular globally than ever before, despite the fact that reggaeton and bachata have surpassed salsa as the dance music of choice for Latinos. In NYC, people of every ethnic background are avid about salsa dancing. There are hundreds of daily dance classes, weekly dance socials at the dance studios, and even week-long salsa congresses all focused on the New York style of salsa dancing known as on two. Despite this, there is a growing divide between salsa dancers and the musicians who play the music, who are having more trouble making a living playing salsa than ever before. Why? In general, I mean, the whole model has changed. I mean, there's not even a tenth of the clubs that used to be here back in the 60s, 70s, and even up to the 80s. That's Louis Bausso, a master of Latin music who played percussion with legends like Tito Puente, Eddie Palmieri, and Celia Cruz for years. I mean, there was gigs every day. There was always a club open, you know. I mean, I remember, I always tell the story that I played, was playing with Tito and we had three years and not a day off. I mean, every day, every single day for three years, not a day off. So what happened to that vibrant live salsa music scene? What's the problem now? There are no more clubs because the rents were too high, so they forced all these big clubs out. They made five places out of the one. That's salsa legend Larry Harlow. But do fewer clubs mean fewer bands? Back to Basso. There's more groups than ever, which is kind of sick, considering there used to be so many clubs and there was less groups. Now there's way less clubs and way more groups. Doesn't sound like a good supply-demand equation to me. And the ratio of clubs to bands is only one part of the problem. Back to Harlow. The DJs popped up, so they hire a DJ. Some of them get five, six, seven, eight, ten thousand dollars to play my music, and I'm not making a penny. But yet they're necessary because they can't afford to bring bands, you know, two bands in and pay 20 musicians or 25 musicians. We'll explore those claims later. It's a common complaint from musicians that DJs are stealing all their gigs. And this is especially true in the salsa scene, which is increasingly dominated by DJs. Like Antonio, AKA DJ La Conga. You can speak to me about the 60s music, 70s music, 80s music, 90s music, and the music from now. And I'm still buying music. And I always buy original. I have in my collection over 7,000 vinyls, and I have over 7,000 original CDs from 25 years collecting. La Conga is one of the most popular DJs in the New York On2 dance scene. He runs a social called La Vieja Guardia at Stepping Out Studios in Chelsea, where we met him for the interview. We asked him, why do dancers prefer DJs to live bands? Right now what happened in New York and in these times and in this new generation, and I said worldwide, 
Everybody likes the old school. Very few people likes the new bands, and very few bands that played really good. I am sorry to mention that. People don't want bands, I have to say, because I'm in the scene, and I love live music. I support live music as much as I can. But one thing I have to say, they play a song, 15, 16 minute songs. You gotta understand a little bit. They're dancers. You don't wanna be with the same person dancing 15, 16 minute songs. That's a concert, not, not, not an assault on scene. Louis Bausseau has a different perspective. He claims that the conflict is caused in part by the DJs and the dance studios, who have separated the dance from the music and made it the central focus. You know, the dancers are just used to dancing to the records. You know, you get complaints from a lot of dancers. Oh, the bands that play the songs too long. And all. You never heard complaints like that before. People enjoyed it. You know, it got longer, you got into it, you made more moves and all. But a lot of dancers can't wait to get to the next part and to show their moves to there. You know what I mean? It's, they've kind of become the show in their minds. But what will happen to salsa if dancers no longer support the musicians who make the music? I mean, you could play hot salsa forever, free. You buy 10 CDs and you play that, but... If you're not giving, you don't give musicians work, they got no reason to record anymore. So you're going to be playing that stuff for the next 50 years. I mean, it just isn't going to move anywhere. Actually, DJ La Conga completely agrees. We need new blood. We need new generations. If we want the salsa still alive, we have to be in the new generations. Come on, I cannot keep playing Hector Lavoe. He's dead. He's such a great singer. Awesome. I love him. But he's, he's gone. But... The problem remains. Live bands are out of sync with the dancers. At least most of the bands. My name is David Frankel. I'm the band leader of a salsa band in New York City called Avenida Bay. David's band is only a few years old, but they are gigging more than most New York salsa bands. Why is that? Because my concept was to create a band that would reconnect live music with the onto dancers. Because onto dancers just didn't, they just didn't like to go see live bands. We spoke with David in his apartment in Alphabet City, which used to be a predominantly Latino neighborhood. He grew up on Avenue B, playing music with his father, a Russian Jewish musician devoted to Latin styles. David has followed in his father's footsteps, dedicating himself to salsa music and dance. He was inspired to start a band precisely because of the gap he experienced between the kinds of tunes DJs were playing for dancers at the socials and the repertoire of live bands. Then I started to listen to the salsa DJs who DJed at these on two parties. And I noticed that they play these songs that I'd never heard of. And I realized that there's so much more beyond the mainstream salsa. Fani is amazing, but there's so much more. And at that point, I, I realized like that music is deep. Salsa, quote, salsa is deep. Then I go out to hear a band, and the bands don't play any of this stuff. They play the same songs. I'm like, didn't this same band play this same set last week? And I'm noticing that the songs are like 15 minutes long. Wow, crazy. I'm like, at a certain point, I was like, this is kind of not enjoyable. I want to hear different songs. I want them to play shorter songs, for Christ's sakes. It's boring to dance to the same song for 15 minutes. 
David decided to form a live salsa band that would address these issues. I wanted to make a band that played different songs, that played shorter songs, that played off the beaten path songs. And so far, it's working well. We get treated so well by the dance community. It's amazing. You know, they really respect us, they care for us, they support us, they come to our shows. That's good to hear. Meanwhile, across the river in Brooklyn, another new salsa band tried a different approach. My name is Johnny Mono, and I'm the band leader of the Williamsburg Salsa Orchestra. Salsa in general is functioning on a very low level compared to what it used to be. A lot of the problem is that nobody has tried to push the genre forward, you know? I mean, it's just... Nobody really said, okay, we're just gonna we're just gonna go forward with this or we're gonna go sideways with it. We're gonna do something completely out that you can still dance to. Like what exactly? It started as a, a fun sort of arranging project to uh, take some of my favorite indie rock tunes and arrange them for my dream band, which is an 11-piece salsa orchestra. And um, it just took off from there. Salsa and indie rock. Seems like an unlikely combination. If I told you things I did before, told you how I used to be, would you go along with someone like me? People always get a little weird with me when I say, how did you pick two completely different genres? Like, why two completely different ones? But it seems to me that the work ethic and the experimental concepts that have been happening in indie rock are the same as what was happening in Salsa 30, 40 years ago. It was this freaky, experimental, underground thing with hundreds and hundreds of bands working their ass off, developing the music into new sounds, and every band had their own distinct sound, and they, people worked at that. In 2010, Johnny arranged songs by the popular indie bands Animal Collective and TV on the Radio, made demos at home, and put them up on YouTube. And they had a little viral moment, but the Village Voice wrote an article about us that went on their music blog. Like, who the hell are these guys? And they thought it was a real band. They had no idea. They just wrote this article, and they put all the videos up. They embedded them all on the webpage. And I started getting calls and emails from places like where are you playing and are you going to be touring by the time we did our, our first show uh, it was actually full of people our first it was a little intimidating from a bi-weekly residency at cameo gallery in the ultra hip neighborhood of williamsburg from midnight to 4 a.m on wednesdays no less the WSO moved on to bigger and better clubs. So, do hipsters like salsa? Some of our shows, it's like half salsa people and half like, you know, scruffy indie rockers drinking PBRs. But do salseros like indie rock, conclave, and sung in English? 
the combination of these incredible salsa rhythms and the arrangements, you know, really respecting that. But the fact that we're pushing new ground with this stuff is making a lot of people listen to us. And the fact that we do the songs mostly in English um, really helps a lot. A lot of people love the fact that they can understand what's going on and tune into it. At least for the audience in New York, it really appeals to everybody because everybody speaks English here. Interesting. So, now we've heard from two band leaders whose bands have become popular despite the challenges facing live salsa bands in this economy. We had to ask, though, are their bands financially successful? Can musicians make a living playing in a busy salsa band in New York today? David Frankel. No, God, no. Not from this. It's not, it's not possible. Down in the dirty hole gigs, even better venues, they don't pay a lot of money. You just don't take enough home. You know, it's, it's, just not a, it's just not a money thing. And what about Gianni and the WSO? Now, we're, we're at the point now where, where we're actually making a little bit of money <laughs> on the gigs. And, but it's so much fun that, like, the fact that I, I, I can't and may never be able to pay everyone's rent through the band um, really doesn't matter. Uh, it's so much fun to do. And we do have gigs that, where we can really express ourselves and express the sound of the band uh, that it's okay. So, let's get back to the DJs. Are the salsa DJs in New York making all the money then, as Larry Harlow implied? Here's DJ La Conga. I don't make a living of this. I have a regular job. I'm a chef of Italian food. Salsa DJing, I don't because it's because I, I love music. Never, never in this moment I can say I, I make a living of DJing. And it's not going to happen. If I want to play for money, I got to play bachata, merengue, be a club DJ, all mix. That's where the money is. But I don't want that. It's not what I want. I want to play the salsa. I want to I want to do something for this what I really love. If you want to make money, do bachata, believe me. <laughs> all right, thanks, Antonio. <laughs> so it turns out that neither the salsa musicians nor the popular DJ that we spoke with are making a living exclusively from salsa. They're all in it for the love. So what do they think can be done to push the genre forward and hopefully get everyone paid in the process? David Frankel. So there is a salsa scene. There is the energy. We just have to, I really, I think, band together. Dancers, musicians, DJs, venues, you know, it's not about the dollar sign. We need to support the new generations of salsa. Salsa bands, Avenida B, A33, La Maxima, Tromboranga, and any other recording come out, we need to support the music. Louis Bausso, for his part, has been focusing on teaching Latin music for the last 40 years at the world-renowned Boys and Girls Harbor Conservatory in East Harlem. Besides teaching percussion, he also runs Latin music workshops and a big band dedicated to the mambo repertoire of the 1940s and 50s. His goal is to give musicians the opportunity to experience something he believes is gone forever. Just, uh, I mean, the big band's a perfect example of music that they just can't get anywhere else. I mean, I love the big band, you know what I mean? But, you know, you got to understand the economics of it. So it's, it's rough. It's not easy. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that music from the golden age will never be repeated. I mean, it's just socially and 
economically, it's just changed. It just You'll never see that again. Simply will not see that again. It's a shame because our music is terrific. We'll leave the last word to Louis Bausso. My love of the music and, you know, the intensity of the music, the community of the music, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing. You know, even if I have a certain critiques about the dances and all that, I just love the fact that there's a lot of outsiders dancing our music. I think it's a great thing. I, it's just a shame that the musicians are paying for that, and that really shouldn't be happening. Some way there has to be more appreciation for the musicians and more opportunities for them to, to get their music out there and more people to see it. We totally agree. And we hope this podcast might be able to do something about that. But we need your help. The Afropop Worldwide podcast is brought to you by you. No, really, this podcast is made possible thanks to our donors. If you've enjoyed this or any of the other podcasts on our website, please consider giving to Afropop. Just go to afropop.org and press donate. Your help allows us to do what we do. Also, check out the programs section at afropop.org for the program Fania at 50, Celebrating Salsa History, and more on Salsa and NYC. You can see photos and videos and read full interviews on our website, afropop.org. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at afropopww. And join us next week for another edition of Afropop Worldwide. Engineering for this podcast by Stephanie LeBeau. I'm Morgan Greenstreet. Thanks for listening.